And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Tuesday, September 13th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melkier, and we're taking a look as we do this time of year at some year-over-year leaderboards. Today, our focus is on strikeout rate for hitters, so we're looking for the biggest fallers. Those are players who have decreased their strikeout rate. That's what we want to see, lower strikeout rates. That's heading in the right direction. And we're going to take a look at some hitters going the opposite directions, the risers, those who have increased their strikeout rate going in the wrong direction. Talk about what the future might hold for these players in a variety of formats and maybe what the stretch run might hold in a handful of instances here as well. Al, let's start on the positive side of the ledger. I set the thresholds very low looking at the Fangraph's year-over-year stats page that we have discussed on this podcast before. I said minimum 100 plate appearances this season and a minimum 100 last season. And with that criteria, Taylor Trammell is the player who has improved his strikeout rate the most from last season to this season. He's at 26.4%. That is totally fine. He's always drawn walks. He's got some power. He's got some speed. And you start to think about the way things are going in this Seattle outfield this year. Julio Rodriguez is a star. He's amazing. He has a spot to call his own. He'll play every day as long as he is healthy for the next decade plus. But the other spots are quite a bit less settled than we expected. Mitch Hanniger has dealt with some injuries again. Jesse Winker's first year in Seattle has not gone particularly well. Jared Kelnick is not even on the roster right now, which with expanded rosters especially is a little bit of a surprise. If you'd told me back in March, we're going to get to September and Jared Kelnick's going to be healthy, but he's not going to be contributing for the Mariners. I would have said, well, something clearly went wrong. So what do you make of, of Taylor Trammell as, as someone that was at one point a top 50 prospect in the eyes of a lot of analysts and a lot of publications? He's been traded a couple of times. Does he have a future as a regular in Seattle, given the outfielders they've got in the mix? He, you know, he could be. And it's it's a good thing, I think, that you reminded us that he was not very long ago considered a, a top prospect. And I just went to look up his age and it is uh, Taylor Trammell's birthday today. So happy birthday, Taylor. Uh, so turning 25 today. So next year will basically be his age 25 season. And I, it, it's going to be an interesting situation because with uh, Kelnick getting such a vote of no confidence right now, if he's if he's not a gimme for their, uh, their opening day roster or for a regular role next year, I think that really does open a, up a possibility for Trammell to play a lot in 2023. And again, with, with the caveat that you don't know what the Mariners are going to do in terms of trades and, and free agency, but there's definitely a path for him right now. And it might not look like that's something that would, would be a priority for the organization. If you just look at the slash line, 207, 295, 402. 
But uh, with that lower strikeout rate, which is more in line with what he did in the minor leagues as compared to the the 42% plus rate that he put up a year ago, I'm, I'm trusting of that that improvement and uh, just a little bit of a BABIP adjustment for him. I'm not saying he'll necessarily even be a normal like 300 hitter on balls in play, but I don't see any reason why he couldn't be, say, 280 or maybe even 290. And so you've got a decent batting average with that power speed potential that you talked about. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it gets hidden by the slash line. It's 207, 295, 402. I just I can't believe it's that low. It's only 38 games because Tramel's also had injuries that have cost him time this year. Uh, but you, you have to think about this from a raw tools perspective. You can look for some other underlying improvements, including a barrel rate that's ticked up from 7.2% a year ago to 9.1%. So you're going to strike out less. You're going to barrel the ball more, even in a reasonably small sample. That, to me, is still a step forward, even in a year where there have been a lot of injuries. Uh, I didn't want to lead off with Tremel necessarily. I just thought he fit because he's the biggest improver. And he narrowly made the cut because of that lack of playing time, just over 100, 106 plate appearances on the season. Uh, Ryan Jeffers, also very high on that list, by the way, kind of sharing that role with Gary Sanchez. And I only mention him because if Gary Sanchez ends up somewhere else over the course of the offseason, Ryan Jeffers, I think, is good enough to be a starting catcher, and he could be a little bit undervalued as someone that quietly improved these skills without having a starting job to call his own all season. Playing time has been a little bit lighter than you would have hoped going into the year. 214 plate appearances, much like Tremel. The the slash line is nothing to write home about. It's more just a, hey, wait and see what happens with this depth chart because a couple things changed for the better in this profile. But let's get to some bigger name players. Javier Baez is among the players with the most improved strikeout rates this year. Is that real? Did I use this tool correctly? <laughs> well, yeah, the strikeouts weren't the problem uh, for Baez. Uh, it was, you know, it was the power and uh, the, the relative lack of stolen bases, which of course were the things that we we drafted him for primarily. Uh, he did he get the batting average up in the second half, so you didn't even really see the benefit of the lower strikeout rate in the first half. Uh, but in the second half, a 261 average, which you, you could live with if the, if the rest of the game was there, but only three home runs in 194 plate appearances since the All-Star break. It's just, DVR, I don't know how to make sense of this season for Baez. I imagine I could wind up with him on a lot of teams next year because I just don't really accept that he's fallen off the map in the way that his his surface stats would suggest that he has. Uh, so I would expect there at least would be a rebound in terms of power uh, and in terms of batting average, maybe a little bit of regression uh, in terms of the strikeout rate. But I think he makes up for that by being the the better than average Babbitt hitter that he's been, that he's been over his whole career. So I, overall, I expect improvement from Baez next year. Uh, and it really actually has very little to do with what happened with his uh, his strikeout rate this year. Yeah, I think with Baez, early in a multi-year deal especially, the playing time is extremely safe. The drawback would be that because the playing time is so safe, if things don't get better, then he actually hurts you pretty badly. But more likely than not, and we've seen this time and time again, this approach has worked for him well enough for him to be a better offensive player from a fantasy perspective than he is from a real-life perspective. I'm looking at the 15-game rolling Woba chart. You can generate those over at Fangraphs on the player pages as well. And just looking to see how are these lows that he has seen in 2022, just in terms of his production, how do they compare to 
previous career lows when things were going very well. And you'll notice if you compare the, the Baez rolling chart to other players' multi-year charts in this particular stat, Baez has probably as much amplitude, as much high-end, low-end space as just about any player in the league. I would say he can run as hot and cold as almost anybody. And we haven't seen the typical stretch where he's played at the scorching hot level. That's what's missing. Those high peaks are missing this year. But the lows are very comparable to what we've seen throughout his entire career. You can go back as far as 2017, and you're going to find some 15-game rolling lows in Woba for Baez that are right in line with where he was earlier this season. The second half has been a little better than the first half. I wouldn't give up hope completely on him, especially if we're talking about Baez as a player that people are pushing outside the top 200 overall. If the, the draft day price is relatively small, I think he would fit really well as your, your starting middle infielder, somebody that's just going to rack up tons of PAs, tons of great counting stats. Power should be pretty steady. I'm curious how much of, of the power outage this year is pressing and trying to earn every dollar of that contract with every swing and how much of it is actual skills loss. Since he's only 29, Baez will turn 30 on December 1st. So it shouldn't be a, a fall off a cliff raw power sort of thing, even though that hard hit rate has been way down this season. That's that's kind of the, the underlying skill that gives me the most pause. And I almost wonder if he's been playing through injuries or something like that is also a factor here because a 36.5% hard hit rate for a guy that's lived above 40% each of the previous four seasons is a big drop. Yeah. And at this stage of his career, just a little hard to explain. So I tend to, to buy the same narrative that you put out there that uh, maybe just really pressing more than you normally would because of his first year on this contract. But um, whatever the reason, I, I have to figure that uh, he'll he'll rebound next year. Yeah, it's probably still like a two, like the projections for rest of season, the bad X has him at 250, 254, 302, 427. I think that's a fair expectation for him. And I think part of what's going to determine whether or not he's a slight undervalue or a massive undervalue is also going to be the quality of the lineup around him. What happens with Torkelson? What happens with Bradley Green? What happens with the other spots on the roster where they might actually try and make more improvements and try and get this team back into at least wildcard contention because they were among the young teams that people thought could take a big step forward this year and instead they took a step in the opposite direction. So team context could also improve around Baez and that would make him someone that could drive in and score 70 to 80 runs if that changes and the skills just get back a little closer to the norms. He doesn't even have to rebound to anything close to peak levels to be a good bounce back player. Let's talk about Alec Bohm for a few minutes. The slash line is still puzzling in some ways. 293, 325, 415. That's good overall, right? The, the WRC plus is a 104. This is kind of similar to what we saw overall for his career so far, when you take the the impressive 2020 debut and you mash it together with the disappointing 2021 follow-up, you kind of split the difference right down the middle for the most part. Uh, the thing that Bohm is doing this year that is an encouraging sign, though, the strikeout rate is even better than it was when he debuted two seasons ago. So he went from 26.6% last season to 18.4%, and this is more in line with the player that he was in the minors. I think the question is, is he also going to 
walk like he did in the minors with this reduced K rate because the walk rate at 4.6% is the lowest that's been at any professional stop for Bohm with the exception of a four-game stint at like a, a rookie ball affiliate in 2018. So we can safely, I think, throw that aside. But I, I would say this has to be a net positive for sure, given where he was at last season. But are we looking at Bohm and saying there's still one more level he can reach as a hitter, given some of the the other things he's flashed at various points in his career? Maybe there is, but, and I know, you know, those who are longtime listeners of, of this podcast probably are going to be saying this with me, knowing that I'm talking about somebody who came up through the, the Philly system, but the, the power peak for Bohm came at that year at AA Reading. So uh, that that's something that always makes me a little bit skeptical if it's not followed up with similar numbers, whether it's at Lehigh Valley where Bohm barely played or once he arrives in Philadelphia, which again, a very good very good uh, environment for for home run hitting, and yet Bohm's not been that kind of hitter. But I I really put the blame more on Bohm's batted ball profile. He's a line drive hitter, and maybe he ran into some uh, extra home runs at Reading that he wouldn't even run into in an environment like uh, Citizens Bank Park. But um, what you get is is uh, you know definitely something more fantasy relevant than what we got a year ago because with this profile. You can expect that Bohm will continue to hit for average. He's at 293 right now. I think it would be not at all a stretch to expect him to hit at least 280 next year and probably put you right in the same neighborhood of maybe 10 to 15 home runs with with some good run production. There's some value in that. Uh, It's not going to make him an early or even necessarily a mid-rounder, but it makes him somebody at least who has some 12-team relevance, which coming into this season, I, I had some concerns about. Yeah, I think he's kind of a, a bench corner, maybe even a, a fringy starter on the corner and a 12-teamer going into next season. I think that that home run total is a, a shade on the light side. But if you're power heavy and you're trying to make up a little ground in batting average, I think this is one way you could go about it. Counting stats are solid because that lineup around him is good. That should be the case again next year. I think the underlying change that I'm focused on with Bohm is the ground ball rate compared to his previous two seasons in the big leagues. He's down to 44.8%. So he is making an adjustment, hitting the ball in the air more consistently. So that still gives me that glimmer of hope that we can maybe see him push his way at least closer to the 20 home run range. I don't know if we're ever going to get 25 or 30, but I think there could still be one more step forward for him in that category. And if that happens... That does put him firmly in the mix of like maybe top 10, top 12 options at the third base position, right? It doesn't have the ceiling of some of the other elite players of the position, but he at least becomes more of a steady player for us than, uh, than a fringe corner guy in a 12 and certainly playable in a 15-team league with numbers like that. Batting average is that overlooked category that uh, always comes back to bite us when we don't do enough with it back on draft day. Uh, one quick detour into a, a part-time player that has surprised us in a very brief window of playing time it's Matt Carpenter he cut his K rate from 30.9% to 22.7% we talked about him on a few of the waiver pods over the course of the season I distinctly remember the first time we talked about him I said AL only leagues only just because I don't think there's enough playing time I did pick him up in my AL only league and it was fun for a few weeks because he was mashing for the Yankees before that foot injury put him on the IL 
I don't know if we really saw enough to know if the league could figure him out with this new approach, this new swing. I think mean, that was the, the bigger story as he changed his swing this offseason. And given his age, I honestly have no idea what to expect from him going forward. I think the part of what makes that tough to do is um, trying to figure out what his playing time situation will be because for for that period of time when you were rostering him, he was playing uh, pretty close to every day and and earning those at-bats with uh, just incredible production and, and turning back the clock and then some uh, at least four years. And part of that was the lower strikeout rate. So what we saw from Carpenter this year in terms of, of that rate would have fit right in with his profile during his peak Cardinals years. Uh, and we saw power that even exceeded that. So, you know, the the, the new swing, I mean, I, I don't know that over a longer period of playing time if uh, we would see a lot of regression, but I'm willing to buy into a lot of this improvement. Uh, it was just a long enough window that I can buy into real improvement even if I'm not buying the entire thing. Yeah, 154 plate appearances for the Yankees this season for Carpenter. Ended up being a 305, 412, 727 slash line. That was 15 home runs in 47 games. Absurd. If that had continued much longer, I think the attention on him would have picked up considerably. We've never seen Matt Carpenter hit the ball in the air more often than he did this season. A 22.8% ground ball rate as a lefty playing his Home games at Yankee Stadium, that seems like a pretty good idea. Um, When you hit the ball in the air that often, I think it can be a pretty big drain on your batting average. So that's the category that I think everybody would be the most skeptical of. So if you take away some of of that production, we're not talking like a 400 BABIP this season. We're talking 304 in in his typical recent seasons. He's in that 250 to 290 range. So even if you want to ding him and say, no, 250 is really where he's at at this stage of his career, Okay, still, that's a 250-360 average in OBP. That's really good with the power he's unlocking. It's backed up by a good barrel rate. Hard hit rate's also pretty solid at 42%. So I just want to see where he ends up as a draft and hold early uh, league sort of consideration. Still probably going to get treated like a bench guy, I would think, just given all the uncertainty, and that might be a risk worth taking. Let's get back to some of the more prominent players that have made big moves in this category. Chris Bryant, who I don't think we've discussed much on this podcast over the course of the season. He lives in that space where he's a very good player. He's been hurt. His team's not very good. His playing time doesn't change as long as he's healthy. And we're seeing the best strikeout rate of his career. It's only been 42 games in his first season with Colorado, but a 14.9% K rate. Bryant's been pretty stable in that category for most of his career. The shortened season in 2020, we saw a, a jump to 27.2%. But if you if you cut that line out, right around 23% each of the last three full seasons. Are you buying this improvement from Bryant? I think we know that pitches in Colorado don't move the same, so we could theoretically see some improvement in K-Ray, but we also get the downside of having to go on the road where everything isn't quite right so I'm, I'm just curious you know what you're doing with a pretty established player doing something so different in this category I'm not really giving it much weight going into next year and we, we've talked about a number of players who are still early in their careers uh, like Bohm and uh, some of the others that we've talked about and, and saying okay they finally have brought that strikeout rate down to a level that's commensurate with what they did in the minors and so it's 
it's easier to have confidence in it. In the case of somebody like Brian, who, like you said, has been so consistent in a lot of parts of his profile, including his strikeout rate, and then to see him make this massive improvement in what really amounted to about a quarter of a season's worth of games, it's really hard to buy into that. And I think the only explanation that maybe could give me a little bit of confidence is just to say, well, that home environment, of course, field, maybe it it just allows him to be more focused. But I, I can't say that I really find that more compelling than just it's a small sample and he looks like a, a big regression candidate in terms of strikeout rate. Now that said, you do mention that there's a bit of, of yin and yang with you know playing at course and then the struggles of adjusting once you, you leave that environment. But a, a lot of Rockies hitters do maintain an above average BABIP uh, over home and away games combined. I, I could definitely see Bryant keeping that part of his profile, 338 Babbitt so far this season. Um, I don't think he's going to wind up with a 300 plus average like he's likely to finish with uh, this year. But um, you know, I, I could see him being in the 275, 280 range just simply because of the, the way that course field can help batting average. Yeah, I think I just see... Uh, boring air quotes uh, accumulator <laughs> a, a yeah. guy that's going to be as long as he's healthy he's going to play 135 140 games probably going to hit 270 or 280 because of the ballpark instead of the 260 that he might have hit if he'd stayed anywhere else and the counting stats are going to be good just because the playing time is solid so how everybody else treats him probably determines how much I have him but I'm not targeting him because of this improvement in K-Ray. I'm more just targeting him because I think people are going to be underwhelmed by year one from him in Colorado. And if you can get a discount on a stable, skilled player like this, who's pretty good across the board in that ballpark, tends to be a pretty good way to go. So unless there's something we learn about that foot injury that's you know more chronic in nature, I think I'm almost encouraged that it's just not his shoulder again, given the shoulder trouble that he had in Chicago a few years ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about a former teammate of Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras. I never thought the strikeout rate last year made sense. 28.6% was a career high. I think his previous full season high was 24.9% in 2019 because, again, we're not really looking at, at 2020 with only 57 games for Contreras that year and trying to draw any conclusions from that. Uh, but he's knocked that back down to 21.2%. He's gone from a career worst to a career best, not too far away from his norms in either case, but a pretty nice swing nonetheless. We've seen a pretty good stretch of, of hard contact from Contreras now. 47.2% hard hit rate this year, 
It was a good year all around. I don't know if we're actually going to see him play again this year, just given that he's got an ankle injury and they're not playing for anything. He's a free agent in the offseason, so who knows where he plays next year, but there's at least a chance he ends up in a better lineup, either because he re-signs, and then if they re-sign him, they're going to add talent to the roster, or because he chooses to go to a contender and possibly lands in a more hitter-friendly home park. Yeah, and you figure that wherever Contreras plays, he's going to be signed to be uh, the, the the catcher, a primary catcher who's you know carrying a, a large part of that workload. So if you could pretty much, as long as he stays healthy, pencil him in for 500 plate appearances or more. And uh, yeah, you figure that the numbers that he's put up uh, this year, that that's kind of a, a, I think a floor that you can look at for next year. Maybe he gets a few more uh, home runs, maybe gets his first 25 homer season, uh, you know, maybe uh, gets in the neighborhood of 65, 70 uh, runs in RBIs and not the sort of catcher that's going to be selling out for power. So while you can't expect him to, to help with batting average uh, where, where he's been the last few seasons, you know, around 240, that's going to be helpful. Really good player, and as a fan of a different team in the division, one that doesn't necessarily have catcher sorted out in the long run, would not mind seeing uh, Wilson Contreras turn heel and uh, join the <laughs> Brewers this offseason. I feel feel like that would bring me joy, and it would uh, make a lot of Cubs fans sad, which I'm not, I'm not rooting for Cubs fans' sadness. I'm rooting for my own joy, just to be very clear about Well, it would be an easy move for Contreras, too, so keep that right. in mind. It'd save money. Yeah, less less gas mileage for the moving truck, so it's got that going for him. Let's get to Patrick Wisdom real quick. Uh, I I don't know if a whole lot has changed in terms of my interest level in him, but I think I have to take an L because he has held on to a large share of playing time longer than I expected. I saw the 40.8% K rate a season ago with all that power and said, no thank you, that's just too much, even though the barrel rate is good. When you watch him, when you see him hit, it's it's backed up, right? The, the the physical strength is easy to see when you watch Patrick Wisdom hit baseballs. So it's not it's not like that was a fluky barrel rate or anything like that from a guy that we really hadn't seen in the big leagues before. With a big improvement in K rate, he's at thirty three point three percent. How long does he get to hold on to a job on the north side of Chicago? Twenty two homers this year so far. Hit twenty eight a year ago. Still a low average, 213. He's actually down in batting average, even though the plate skills have moved in the right direction, which is a little bit unfortunate for him. But this is a profile that I always feel like can fade really quickly. I agree. I guess we both take L's on this one, DVR, because I remember back in April, maybe even going a little bit later into the season, that I I think I wrote him up once or twice in the waiver wire column. We had some discussions about him. I was always on the, the sunnier side of the street in those discussions about wisdom. And in the end, it still wasn't really great production, even with the legit power uh, that he has. And, you know, more, more to the point, too, of looking ahead to next year, he is a one-win player this year. Uh, I, I think you know we can we can kind of close the book on that with less than a month to go now. You know, basically a one-win player this year. In fact, since coming off the IL, he's not even playing that much. So, I think the the Cubs they're they're giving Alfonso Rivas a, a, another look. I'm not exactly sure what they see there either because he's not a young player and he also strikes out a lot. Uh, but I think it's more just the signal of that the Cubs maybe are using this opportunity to look at at least one other option and maybe in the offseason um, 
they they address the corners in the infield and um, move on for Patrick Wisdom because I think based on what he he showed them with a really good long look this year, uh, they can probably do better next year. Uh, Patrick Wisdom is the kind of player that smashes a bunch of home runs for a year or two in the big leagues and then just quickly ends up playing in NPB over in Japan and he does great over there because it, I mean, it's just just the kind of player that he is, but. Uh, I, Christopher Morell's getting some time, I think, at third base this season now. So I, I would say so just based on age alone, you'd be much more inclined to continue seeing what Morell can give you and just say, thanks, but we're moving on from Patrick Wisdom. So uh, again, I'll take the L because he's played more than I expected. And if you're in a deep enough league, he's been good. He's been profitable. But if you're in a more shallow format, yeah, it's kind of been more of a, a break-even sort of a year for him, I think, given the limitations with the batting average and the recent downturn in playing time. Uh, let's talk about Josh Rojas for a moment. Playing mostly at third base this season, one thing I keep an eye on late in the year are players who need to continue playing other spots to hold their multi-position eligibility. Rojas is two games away from getting to 20 games played at second base. And I think he's been playing there a little bit more recently because of Emmanuel Rivera. So there's a pretty good chance he's going to get there. Skills-wise, Rojas down from a 24.9% K rate last season to 18.3%. I think this is pretty big just because he's one of those players that as a team gets better, if the K rate's high, if it's in the 25% range, he could end up losing a little bit of playing time or falling into more of a, a big side platoon sort of role. I think he's still a priority player for them. He think he's still a player they're going to want to have in their lineup on an everyday basis, even if he doesn't necessarily have one position to call his own on the roster going into next season. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's a part of the appeal for Rojas as far as the Diamondbacks are concerned, that he, he can fill a number of needs for them and also contribute at the plate. And I, I remember uh, thinking back to when the Diamondbacks uh, got him from the Astros and looking at the minor league stats and thinking, wow, there's you know maybe some real speed power combo potential here. And we didn't really see much of either uh, with the Diamondbacks, but until this year, <laughs> kind of out of nowhere, 19 stolen bases. So I find that kind of exciting. And maybe the home run power is never going to develop, but I, I think there's sort of a, a profile here that's a little bit like Alec Bohm's that we talked about with uh, high line drive rates and the, the potential for uh, a high batting average. Also, you know, using the whole field, doing a lot of things that can keep that batting average up, even if there aren't a lot of home runs. But unlike Bohm, uh, he is already walking a lot at the major league level. And then there are all those stolen bases. So I'm actually kind of excited about Rojas going into next year. Yeah, I think you look at him probably more as a, a source of steals than a, a source of power, given where things have gone this year. It's a funny profile, though, because I expected to look at his sprint speed and see something in the 70th percentile. He's in the 51st percentile, so he's not just a straight-line burner. Just picks his spots really well. But that was the case when he was stealing bases in the minors, too. I think you mentioned his time in the Houston organization back in 2019 before that trade. He was 19 for 23 at AAA as a base dealer in just 53 games. So we did see that high frequency of taking off and a high success rate against good, maybe not elite, but good batteries at the highest level of the minor leagues. So really interested to see what comes from him next. But if it's a speed and average play with hopefully a little more positional versatility, if he gets to that that 20-game threshold at second base, I think Rojas will tick up just slightly in terms of uh, draft 
day price compared to where he was here in 2022. Uh, this should surprise no one. Andres Jimenez among the biggest movers as well. and knocked 6% off his strikeout rate within this breakout this year. Just pointing him out because he's two games away from reaching 20 at shortstop. And I think that might be a little bit less likely to happen, but not impossible depending on what's going on with Ahmed Rosario down the stretch. If Rosario slumps enough, maybe they'll shuffle things around and Jimenez will get there and maintain eligibility at two infield spots. Um, it's been a tough year for Tim Anderson. A lot of missed time, Al, but a 15.7% K rate, a career best for him at age 29. It's more of a sample than what we were talking about with Chris Bryant, but I'm just curious when you have another player that we feel like we kind of know what he brings to the table, does that give you a little more skepticism in, in buying in? Because the thing I'm looking at is the O-swing percentage, the number of percentage of pitches that are, are being swung out to the strike zone. That's actually the second highest of Tim Anderson's career at 44.4%. He's got that aggressive approach, and it seems to work for him because he can cover a big area. But those numbers don't quite make sense in my mind together. Yeah, not for me either. And it's such an outlier this year. And the fact that it is in about half as many plate appearances as uh, he would he would normally have, it definitely makes me skeptical that this is something that Anderson's going to be doing next year. Although it's odd because if you just, if you look at the, um, you know, just look at the, the slash line for him, uh, not as much power as we've seen in recent years on a per game basis, but it's uh, going to be his uh, his fourth straight season with a 300-plus batting average. So maybe it's a lot to do about nothing in Anderson's case because, you know, he's somebody who can get hits on balls and play. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I think his appeal remains largely the same, uh, but I do expect him to strike out more next year. I think the, the thing that's starting to concern me with Anderson is that the, the lost time this year is not just an outlier, right? I'm mean, talking about a year ago, 123 games played, 2020, 49 to 60, and then 2019, 123 out of 162. So you probably don't want to project him for more than 135 or 140, even though with the role he has, if he were healthy, he could be among the players that lead the league in plate appearances. That is, that's in his range of outcomes. It just seems like it's increasingly unlikely as he approaches 30 years old. Anderson will turn 30 in June, so he's got a little time yet. But uh, a player that I think is going to be fascinating to see just in terms of how people respond to this basically half season from him. I think he'll be a lot cheaper in 2023 drafts, and that might actually pull me in. It's not the K-rate improvement because I just don't see enough other changes in his skills to think he's a totally different player. He still hits the ball on the ground a lot. I think if he's ever going to get to more consistent power, that's something that has to change. But we're talking about a guy that's had 3,300 career appearances, played appearances now in the big leagues. So it's a little difficult to bank on that at this stage of his career. Let's shift the focus to some of the biggest risers in K-rate. We're looking at players going the wrong direction. And we're going to use the same sort of uh, approach to how we started the show. The biggest mover in the wrong direction with at least 100 plate appearances in each of the last two seasons, unfortunately, is Joe Adele. What do we do with Joe Adele, Al? We're still talking about a guy that has only been to the plate 511 times at the big league level over parts of three big league seasons combined. He won't turn 24 until after opening day in 2023, so he's still young. And the shape of that playing time 
has been pretty unusual. There haven't been a lot of stretches where he's been a clear-cut, everyday player out of those plate appearances. Maybe half of those at most have come in a, in a sense of like, yeah, you're in the lineup tomorrow too, so just go out there and, and, and do what you got to do. Are you interested in him? The barrel rate's still pretty good, 10.1%. Uh, the walk rate has still been low. He's walked about 4.9% of the time for his big league career. He's at 4.2% this year. Handful of stolen bases, kind of on a 15-ish home run pace if you double up the, the games played. Even that would be light in terms of plate appearances. The AAA numbers were better, but not as good as you might have hoped for someone who's been at that level a few times. But if you look at last season and this season at AAA, K rate right around 30%. He did walk more when he was there this year and ended up being a 117 WRC+, plus, which is good, not great for a guy who's 23 at that level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and definitely not just in terms of the name uh, that goes with the stats. You would expect something better from Joe Adele. Uh, in his third go around at AAA. Uh, so it, yeah, very, very puzzling trajectory for him. But the one thing I guess that we can take out of all of this, you mentioned the barrel rate for him, uh, put up really good power numbers at AAA both this year and last year. So that, that does seem to be a skill that Adele owns. Uh, so that just makes the strikeout rate really, really critical for him. But um, it's just, it's just hard to figure out where he'll land next year. And, and I guess the good news is that he's probably going to go late and there's very, very little risk involved. Yeah. We've reached the uh, former prospect fatigue level for Joe Adele, where I think the, the room has a lot more skeptics in it than believers. That's oftentimes a great move in long-term leagues. I think Joe Adele might be the most discussed player in this feed since this show came into existence because he comes up on a lot of episodes of, of under the radar in particular, I think when you look at the Angels, they're at a bit of a crossroads. They could go through an ownership change this offseason, potentially. So how they operate, what they're willing to spend money on payroll-wise, what they're looking to do with this roster is a great unknown. And you know, you look at the injuries they've had this season, sure, that's a big part of, of why they've underperformed. But at the same time, Brandon Marsh is gone. So one of the major sources of, of frustration uh, playing time-wise, was moved because they wanted to trade for a long-term catcher when they got Logan O'Hoppy at the trade deadline from the Phillies. You look at the other outfielders they've got, Magnery Sierra, Mickey Moniak. I don't see those guys pushing Adele that much. This is really going to be all about whether or not they bring in competition from the outside for that playing time. If they decide to upgrade around the infield instead and say, Joe Adele's getting a full season or at least a half season where he's going to go into the year. He's going to have the job. He's not going to be worried about playing time for the first couple months of the year. That's pretty different than what the last couple of seasons have been like for him. So I, I don't want to give up completely. I do think the playing time could come in pretty high if we see a little bit of improvement. But this is another disappointing chapter, I think, in the early part of Joe Adele's career. It's just a question of whether the tools are going to come through and he's going to be able to turn things around in the future. I think I'm I'm in the somewhat optimistic group. Like the, the few remaining optimists, even though I think it might be a few small steps forward. I don't think it's going to be a massive turnaround where all of a sudden we're talking about Joe Adele as a top 100 overall fantasy player again. We should talk about Jared Kelnick here because I think he's among the biggest risers in strikeout rate as well, up over 10%, 38.2% K rate for Jared Kelnick this year. And I think their situations are a little bit similar because the outfield is 
a little bit crowded in Seattle, like we talked about earlier. Maybe not as bad as we thought because of some injuries. We've had high expectations based on performances in the minor leagues. I think in the case of, of Kelnick, his track record at AAA is a little bit more convincing than Adele's because the K rate at that level is a lot lower. A 21.6% strikeout rate at AAA over 80 games this year. 15 homers, 8 for 11 in stolen bases. I'm still like in on Kelnick. I just don't know if the Mariners are. He might end up getting a chance to uh, put it, the pieces together somewhere else in 2023, which is such a wild thing to say just based on where the expectations were for him a year ago. Yeah, it is strange that that's a, that's a plausible scenario. Uh, and one even after last season and how disappointing that was, that would have seemed kind of outlandish. But uh, I wouldn't rule that out. But whether he stays in Seattle or does go elsewhere, uh, I don't know that I would say I'm I'm in in that I would be willing to draft him if there were any kind of risk involved. I just don't think that that's going to be the case after uh, what's happened within the last couple of seasons once he's been uh, brought up to the major league level. So we, we had that September last year that gave us some hope for Kelnick, but that just didn't really translate into anything in 2022. So if he's there as a late round flyer, can only take so many of these DVR. Probably won't have a team that's got you know Joe Adele and Chris Bryant and Jared Kelnick, but I could see having you know at least one of them on on different teams. I could have two as long as one of them is Bryant. I can't have Adele right. and Kelnick on the same team, and maybe in a keeper league rebuild situation, maybe that's about it. But yeah, redraft wise, I think you're taking on a lot of of downside risk if you've got both of those guys uh, on on the roster together. And and just to put a little more context into the the Kelnick performance at AAA this year, we know those are very hitter-friendly environments. Uh, It's a 114 WRC+, but with power, with speed, with the things that we care about from a fantasy perspective. So I do think he's going to get a prolonged opportunity in 2023. I'm just not certain it's with the Mariners, especially because Jerry Depoto is Jerry Depoto. Like the the hey we'll trade him for something else because it just didn't quite work out here. That wouldn't be a surprising storyline for him uh, whatsoever. A couple older players with big jumps in K Ray Eddie Rosario up eleven percent. I thought he always had a challenging approach to believe in long terms. So this makes me think that this could be the beginning of the end. I know he's missed some time with injuries this year, and it just. It's been a strange season for him, so I, who knows? Maybe he ends up getting an opportunity on a, a non-contending team and can, can, can do some of the typical things that we see from him. You go back to last season, 2021 from Eddie Rosario. The combined slash line was a little bit better than I remembered. 259, 305, 435. The thing that he needs to do, though, to be a good fantasy player is to push that average up into the 270, 280 range. Otherwise, he ends up being more of a mono-league sort of guy that can do a little bit of everything, but now has, I think, some significant playing time risk. Probably more of a big side platoon guy at this stage of his career. Yeah, I think that's the best case scenario for Rosario going forward. And it's yeah, a little weird to think that it has been since 2019 that he's had a single season batting average that's been over 270. Because I, I, yeah, I think of him as somebody who's pretty reliable for batting average. But now that you not only have that big jump in strikeout rate, which I, I figure will will moderate at least somewhat next year, uh, but that combined with the previous two seasons of not being as good of a hitter on balls in play. Uh, I would agree that uh, I think Rosario's days of being a true everyday player are, are probably beyond him now. I wonder if he gets moved in a 
guy we don't need sort of deal for a guy you don't need sort of deal because he's under contract with Atlanta for another year. He had two two for 18 is the contract he got this past winter after the amazing playoff performance. So if he stays in Atlanta, maybe he's a starter in left. I mean, they do... They do have questions in the corners, even though they're loaded. Well, one corner, even though they're loaded uh, with young talent on that roster. So it there are worse places to get a chance to bounce back. I think he'd have a lot more buffer, though, if he ends up getting flipped to another club. Cole Calhoun, just probably not going to be on any of my teams next year. 31.4% K rate this year. Just doesn't seem like there's anything left in the tank with him. Unless you've got a, a defensive Cal- Cole Calhoun, I think we could probably move on. And I agree. He definitely, I think more so than Rosario for me, seems like a player who's, uh, yeah, probably not going to be a, a regular uh, again going forward. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to a few of the other big names on the hitting side. Trevor Story. We talked about him a bit on Under the Radar two weeks ago. I believe it was the show before Nando was back. I'm actually in on a Trevor Story bounce back. I think he came up because he went pretty early in the uh, Rob DiPietro, the Deadpool hitter mock from a few. No, it wasn't a mock. It's a real draft. The too early Deadpool hitter draft, uh, as I'm sure it's known. There's power, there's speed. The average is down. Not a surprise when the K rate jumps from 23.4% to 30.8%. Story's still walking. The hard hit rate's still above 40%. I actually see enough good in the underlying numbers where I think you can explain a lot of what's happened to Story this year with the league change. Just being in a different environment, facing a lot of pitchers that he hasn't seen much of. I think next year ends up being a lot better than this year overall. And there's still speed. 13 for 13 as a base dealer this year in 94 games. Might even get to 20 home runs, depending on how this season finishes up for him. It's the question of how much of a discount are you going to get? I actually don't need that much of a discount to be interested because I think he can be a little bit of a do-everything player. I agree. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be in on story next year too. And what's cool is this year, even though the numbers overall are down, it's his highest barrel rate since 2018. And that's something I really wanted to see to be reassured because obviously with the change in park, uh, that's, you know, he, he has to be generating some raw power to even approximate the kinds of home run totals that he had with, uh, with the Rockies. Uh, I, I don't think that the batting averages that he had, uh, in Colorado are, are coming back, um, and I do expect that the the strikeout rate will improve next year, but he's just going to lose uh, so much Babbitt appeal, I think. Although Fenway is a good place also to hit, uh, you know, hit a lot of doubles and 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 uh, you know get uh, base hits that stay in the park. But I think he's he still loses some Babbitt there, and uh, 
but yeah, otherwise I agree. I, I think that, you know, he didn't hit any home runs until May. So I think there was an adjustment there. I think a full season after having made that adjustment, I think you're going to see something much more like the Trevor story we saw with the Rockies. I think we're looking for something like 260, 265 with the batting average. Cause I think as a righty at Fenway, he does pull the ball a decent bit. He can take advantage of the monster. That will help a little bit. The The gap between the Coors Babbitt and playing half your games at Fenway, it'll be smaller for him as a righty than it would be if he were a lefty. So if he's a 265 guy with a good OBP in a lineup that I think we can assume will be better next year than it was this year, I think the Red Sox are going to try and, and add this offseason. Those counting stats will be good. I still like him as a probably like a fringe top 50 sort of player. I don't know if that's what he's going to go for in most leagues. Maybe you can get him 20 to 30 spots later than that, at least initially. But I'm definitely in on a Trevor Story bounce back. Uh, Tyler Stevenson has been hurt this year, but he's up 7% in K rate. A little surprising there because we've seen pretty good plate skills from him uh, throughout his career. I do like him as a bounce back player for next year. What about Chris Taylor? He's way up in strikeout rate, 35.6%. Is there something going on underneath that surface number that makes you believe that this is actually a, a longer-term problem for Taylor? Well, I, I think the only reason I'm not as willing to give him benefit of the doubt as a lot of the other players that we've talked about. So, well, some of it is age, uh, that um, he'll, he'll be he actually just turned 32. So next year will be, his, uh, for the most part, his age 32 season. So you figure that's a, a time when you're going to see some increase in, in strikeout rate. And it'll probably improve some next year, but I, I wouldn't necessarily look for it to be under 30%. And then again, there's the team context too, that, uh, Lately, he's been struggling a little bit, a little bit more for playing time than we've grown accustomed with Taylor. And uh, as long as he's a Dodger, that's that's something that I do worry a little bit about um, with him uh, going into next season. Yeah, he's got that longer term deal with them too, so I would imagine he's probably going to be there for 2023, unless uh, he ends up in a scenario like I was describing with Eddie Rosario, where some other team is intrigued, they think they can fix him. Looking at where he's played this year. Chris Taylor also might lose the multi-position eligibility he's had. 90 games in the outfield, 13 at second base. So depending on where the threshold is, maybe he already qualifies for you there. Only one game at shortstop this year, only three at third base. So this could be a very different looking player that loses a ton of draft day appeal for a lot of different reasons. Maybe if the price falls far enough, but I do think because of the age, we do have to be very careful with a K rate jumping as much as it has for Chris Taylor uh, here in 2022. Let's talk about Matt Olson for a moment. I think that move down to a 16.8% K rate a year ago was one of the most pleasant surprises of last season in just about any player's profile because we'd seen plenty of swing and miss in Olson throughout his time in Oakland. The shortened season in 2020, 31.4%. That was an outlier. I think that people could pretty easily spot, especially when the O swing percentage that year was better than it was in any of his previous three seasons. 23.1% this year in Atlanta, a league change, you know, the pressure maybe of having that long-term deal. He's put together a nice season overall. It's a 242-330-473 line. Maybe there's some people out there that are disappointed because the price was so high back on draft day, but he didn't hurt you. And it seems like these skills, at least these plate skills, are right in line with things we'd seen prior to last season from Olsen. So is this sort of a what you see is what you get scenario where 
maybe we get a little more power next year, but otherwise, like this is where he's going to settle in for a bit. I think it is, and I think I misread some things about Olsen uh, coming into the the previous couple of seasons because I really thought that what he did in 2019 with the 36 home runs that that was that was going to be a level that Olsen could keep. But that is looking more and more like an outlier for him. And like you said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what he uh, what he did this year, um, or even you know last year with Oakland, where he did hit for uh, you know for uh, he hit a career high, but more plate appearances in terms of home runs. But yeah, I think that maybe that's too high of an expectation for uh, for Olson going forward. And the thing that's kind of strange, DVR, is that this strikeout rate does fit in with. Um, most of the previous norms that he set, but it's really skewed by July where he struck out a ton, but that was also his best power month. Maybe that's just a sheer coincidence, but also maybe it's something where he did try to uh, make a little bit more contact because he was paying too high a price for that power back in July. Again, just kind of grasping at straws for an explanation for that. But uh, I, I am going to be a little more pessimistic about the, the power numbers going forward. And that pessimism still means that I expect him to hit 30 home runs, just maybe not 40. I think he's still got the, the 40 home run ceiling. I'm, I'm in on the on the power ceiling still being there. The barrel rate hasn't moved. I think he's still doing pretty much everything you're looking for in the, the batted ball profile. A few more ground balls this year and last year compared to where he was between 2018 and 2020. Love the lineup around him. Zero playing time questions. I hope we're getting a discount. I mean, I think the price ticked up more than it probably should have back on draft day. So I ended up with zero Matt Olson on my rosters this year. But I think I'll have a lot of Matt Olson. Uh, if I think about how I build teams in you know auction and salary cap draft scenarios, if he's a $22 to $24 player, I will have an insane amount of Matt Olson on my teams. If I've got 15 teams next year, Matt Olson could easily be on half of them as a core player for me. So uh, I am, I'm here for it. Uh, and if look, if you're right, if, if 30 home runs is the ceiling, take, I'll take 30 home runs with 250, 260 for the batting average and really good counting stats because a healthier Acuna, we'll see what happens with Dansby Swanson. Albies comes back. You know, this is a good, good team. Harris looks legit. The catchers are solid. Austin Riley's a star. I mean, there's a lot in that supporting cast that that makes me feel great about Matt Olson. Like the floor is amazingly high, and I think the ceiling with the barrel rate still being close to 13%, it's still where I'd like it to be for at least one more year of low to mid twenties sort of expectations from a dollar value perspective for Olson. Uh, Max Muncy, we've talked about him on a bunch of shows over the course of the year. K-rate up quite a bit for him, too. He just hasn't been healthy. So, I, I mean, if you've got something else with Muncy that's giving you some pause, I'd love to hear it. But I've been chalking up the Max Muncy has disappointed us to the health of his elbow pretty much all season. Yeah, and I, in retrospect, that makes a lot of sense. And he's actually really turned it around for about the last month and a half. So... Somebody who uh, maybe does have more left than I, you know, by the time we got to the All-Star break, I was kind of thinking it maybe it's over for Max Muncy, but that was uh, clearly really premature. And he's done well with K rates above 25% in the past. I mean, if you look at 2018, 2019, especially right around the same K rate that he's got now, barrel rates in line with those numbers too. 
maybe he is finally healthy here in the second half. Overall slash line, probably going to get you a nice discount, though, going into next season. And if you're in a late season situation where you're wondering if you should play him or not, I'd actually be playing him more often than not down the stretch unless you're trying to protect batting average or something along those lines. But this is starting to look a little more like Max Muncy in the last couple months than what we saw throughout the first half. Uh, Two more big names to get to before we go. Josh Donaldson up to a 27% K rate. He's one of those guys that if you have him, you realize how far away from his norms he truly is as a player this year. A 224, 313, 383 line. That is just not at all we expected. I think if you expected the counting stats to be good because of the lineup around him, you're even disappointed there because 466 plate appearances for Donaldson this season, Al. 50 runs and 52 RBIs. So just coming up light across the board. Where do we go from here? Given his age, I think he's the oldest player we've talked about. He'll be 37 in December, still under contract for next year. So presumably still going to be a Yankee for next year. Is there a bounce back in Josh Donaldson's age 37 season? Well, because it is his age 37 season, I think any bounce back that he has, I would expect it to be mild. And some of that will probably be a little bit of um, movement in the right direction with the strikeout rate because it was such a a big change this year. uh, And he had been really consistent with that before. But again, because he's older, maybe that bounce back is, you know, only like a two or three point improvement. And then, you know, meanwhile, uh, you know, a a lot less power this year than what we've seen from Donaldson in the past. And uh, has, it's been a very long time since he's been somebody that would not hurt you, uh, in batting average, or at least, uh, wasn't, you know, wasn't helping you much. So I've got really at this point, no interest with Donaldson going into next season, even if it looks like he's going to play pretty regularly. And of course, there's also the question too, of how healthy he stays. So just, just a lot of question marks for him. And I imagine he's somebody who could go undrafted in a lot of 12 teamers and, um, if, if somebody else does take him, I'm fine with that. But I'm also fine to just kind of see how it goes for him in the early weeks uh, and, and not you know, be keeping too close of an eye on him. Yeah, I think he's more of a draft and hold filler because I think the playing time will be fine. And if you need to use him, great. But if you can have better options ahead of him, that's probably the way to play it. Might be on some AL only teams for me too, but I think I'm probably out from a, a even a deep mixed league perspective once we get ahead to the spring of 2023. One more bat to get to, Byron Buxton. This is another challenging season to figure out because it's not a full one. It's the most played appearances we've seen in a season from Byron Buxton since 2017, 382. So this is more than he's been able to play at any point in the last five years. 28 homers, so he's got a shot if he gets back from this latest injury. He's got a shot at 30. He's 6-for-6 as a base dealer. Because it's been a knee injury, I think that's part of the reason why we're not getting, or a hip injury too, we're not getting the the stolen bases we're accustomed to from Buxton. The strikeout rate is up at 30.4%, but he's walking more than ever, 8.9%. Some of this is, to me, just a, a guy that's sort of changing who he is as a hitter. And that's happened over a few years where he's getting to this power a lot more consistently. He's slugged 500 or higher every year since 2019. What on earth are you doing with Byron Buxton going into next season? Because on a per-game basis, he's one of the best players on the field. And yet, 
there are so many weird things about his profile. From a fantasy perspective, the average is too low. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to stay that way. I'm not sure the balance between the power and the speed is going to be exactly what it is right now either. And then, of course, how many games do you even forecast them for? And now you've got this other skill going the wrong way where maybe part of getting to that power is working the count more, trying to get the ideal pitch to drive, working more walks along the way, but also you know having some more strikeouts. So is this... This season, this line, this strikeout rate, are these really the the true elements of Byron Buxton's profile going forward? I'm not expecting that. Uh, so he's really been up and down with strikeout rate throughout his career. So I, I'm probably just, in terms of next year, trying to project his batting average and projecting the strikeout rate, just kind of trying to find the happy medium because he's really been all over the place as far as that's concerned. But on some level, I, I won't be really sweating that too much because it's absolutely about how to gauge the the playing time and, and his health status. Uh, what I do know is that if he goes anywhere close to where he went this year, when he was, you know, uh, roughly a, a top 50 player overall, it'll be another season where I don't draft Buxton anywhere. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. And maybe next year is the year where he stays healthy all or, or most of the season. And then I'll be really sorry. I don't have him, but, um, it's such a huge risk, DVR. So, uh, and I have no idea even what to anticipate that his ADP is going to be next year because I think a lot of people may may sour, be more, at least be more sour than they were uh, going back to last spring. If you believed in him, it's like you were right on a on a skills per game output level, but you've been dealing with the headache of you know, load management, IL time, all the things that you. you certainly were worried about just given what's happened in, in recent years with him overall. I don't know if you could project him for anything more than like 110 or 120 games. I mean, he's got one major league season where he's reached a hundred and that was back in 2017. He played 140 games this year. So it's possible. Anything's possible. If he's going inside the top 50 again this year, which in some ways I kind of think he'd be consistently more expensive than he was at least in the early part of draft season last year. I don't think I want to have him there. I'm fascinated. Like this is one of the more <laughs> like this this isn't the Alberto Mondesi problem redone, although there have been some similarities with them throughout their respective careers where it's been high risk, high reward. What are you really going to get in this early round with these players? And usually it's chasing them both for speed. With the Buxton profile flip especially, I'm just kind of shrugging my shoulders. If he's inside the top 50, there's so many other players that, from a health perspective, from a skills perspective, that I like just as much, and in the health case, more, I'm more inclined to just go down that road. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it will be interesting, I think the degree to which I have him roster next year is really going to be dependent on, on ADP, which I know sounds like kind of an obvious thing to say, but it's truer for him than, than anybody else because I don't need to be sold on, on the skills. Right. And I think if I'm building a team, maybe I'm a little speed heavy or I feel like I've got a great average and, and I've got players that I'm very confident in. If he's there in the sixth round of a 15 team league, if he's more like pick 80, pick 90, then I might be tempted but I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm seeking him out. I don't think I'm setting the early, the min ADP, or I'm the one that's aggressively pursuing Byron Buxton. 
I'd want him to stay healthy because I think he could be an MVP if we were able to get a full season for him at some point in the future. We are going to go as we sign off today. Just a quick reminder that you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at LMLQRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with you Wednesday with Under the Radar. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.